the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. Welcome to Panhandle Live on the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST. Broadcasting from the Hoppy Kerchival Building in Martinsburg. And it is Panhandle Live for this 18th day of October, 2023. It's uh, Luke Wiggs and Marsha Kavalik hanging out with you. We've got a busy show today, so we're going to go ahead and jump right into it because, Marsha, we've got our first guest joining us in studio, and uh, we just found out right before we cracked the microphone that he is also Team Roundabout. <laughs> So there we go. Oh, oh terrible. Are we, are we really weighing into that? Are we really starting the show with that I, today, Luke? I never was a team roundabout oh, until they gosh. actually put them in, and that traffic down in Inwood has exponentially. You increased. know, I don't mind the roundabouts until I, I notice someone's just not being careful or they, they're being random in the roundabout. And then I'm like, why? Why don't we have a light here? Um, anyway, in studio, that voice you hear is Martinsburg City Police Chief Aaron Gibbons. Welcome in. Thank you very much for having me on this morning. So our Clint Gage covers the Martinsburg City Council meetings. And uh, this last week, he had some sound from you where you're talking about dropping the speed limit on some city streets to 15 miles an hour. Uh, tell our listeners about that. Uh, Lauren, listen, I'm, I may be, be very well uh, new at the chief position, but I'm not a new cop. I've been here for a long time, and I've always had very specific issues on very specific streets. And some of those streets included these one-way streets where you're running mirror to mirror with other vehicles. The curbs are right off the off the porches, um, and any ch- child running through the streets that that's a very dangerous situation to be running 25. And of course, we know the new. 35 is the new 25 around here. <laughs> because so. you're, what you're saying is if it's 25, people are going to kind of... Well, either way, up. even at 25, going mirror to mirror with other vehicles, going down one-way streets is a very dangerous situation. And I've always um, felt strongly about that. So do you, um, off the top of your head, remember some of the streets that you're in particular talking about? Yes. Um, my window outside my office is right off College Street. So I watch cars fly up and down that all the time. And... uh having the speed limit at 25, you're constantly watching the kids run around and the cars just barely missing a, you know, a ball running out in, in the street. Oh, man. That, that makes a very dangerous situation. College, um, college church, uh, the top half of Boyd Avenue. That's very narrow. I mean, you just getting into the boulevards, it's a very narrow, narrow situation. So you brought this up at the Martinsburg city council meeting on Thursday. What does it take? I mean, you're the chief of police. Looks like you could just go plaster the miles per hour, you know, change it on any sign that you wanted to. Well, but obviously does, not. I go in front okay. of council. What does it take though, to get this, uh, ha- to, to make this change and, and will it happen on those streets that you mentioned? Right. Well, we do a site survey whenever there's an issue arise uh, for a traffic pattern or a change of traffic pattern. We, I have officers go out and actually do a site survey. So they actually, um, take it into consideration if there is a petition from the citizens or even a request from the citizens. Hey, is this a valid concern? And we'll do a site survey on it. Once I do that, put it in front of council. Now we are changing the ordinance um, to kind of give the city a little bit more ability to change those um, traffic patterns and or speed limits, um, which is going to assist us in doing our site surveys. Um, But 
is doing the site survey, getting it in front of council prior to this, um, getting it in front of council, and then getting a hold of the street department once it's approved, if it is approved, and make sure, especially, um, it wasn't just the speed limit. I also requested a stop sign down on Wilson Street. So it's so, a four four way stop. Yes, four way stop. I've always had an issue at that intersection. So what, what's the intersection? It's Wilson Street and Raleigh Street. Raleigh. So pulling oh. off of Raleigh. If you're pulling off of Raleigh and you want to go west on mm-hmm. Wilson Street, you can't see. There's a blind hill right there. And especially if someone's like exactly. parked up there. Yeah, exactly. And of course, people aren't driving 25, 15 miles an hour either coming up that street. So we've we've done a lot of traffic. We did a site survey on that. We've been doing site surveys on that for a long time. It's just being able to readily identify that issue. And there's a school right there. All those, all that school traffic that comes off of, uh, what's that church? Uh, I think that's Church Street down there at the bottom. Or not church. The uh, one that comes maybe down. Maybe it's Maple. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, down by the little plaza, there's a street that the kids use to mm-hmm. pull out there. And that's that's a very dangerous situation. So um, have you heard anything from the, the transportation department at the school system? Is this going to affect their flow when they're getting buses out? Um, I hope it does not. Um, I don't imagine that it would. Um, now, we are going to make sure. Now, this this you don't just throw up a stop sign. We have to make sure the public knows about it. We have to put out a lot of information to the public, especially the the school, anybody traveling through the area, we'll try to get that out, get it well marked. Um, another thing that was on the previous council session were signboards. So I'm hoping that these new signboards come in so that we can use those for new traffic patterns and get it well lit, well marked, a lot of flags. It's not going to be in place before apple harvest, I'm assuming, right? It's no, no, going to no. take a it, while. It, yeah, it, it's going to it's definitely going to take a while. Well, what is that going to look like I guess for constituents? You know, people have been driving these streets for years and then if you were to make a change like this, you know, how can you get the word out and is there going to be maybe a little bit of a grace period if, if these speed limits are That's changed? That's what he really wants to know. Well, yeah, not, not me specifically, you know. Well, it's not a normal place <laughs> Asking to Asking for a, a friend. <laughs> and and I did hear that as well on um, from members of the city council was that this isn't a normal place to have a stop sign, but there are plenty of places where it's abnormal to have a stop sign. You look at West Virginia, Virginia, New York Avenue. Yeah. Those streets you can run the entire distance, but there's stop signs along the way. Um, so it just getting people used to this and there is going to be a little bit of leniency <laughs> for you. So when you run that stop sign, I'll, I won't tow your car. I'm kidding. Oh, I'm, kidding. Wow. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Do you want me to point, point out his car? When <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> yeah. what, what, take, take the plate before you leave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Our guest this morning is Martinsburg, uh, city police chief, Aaron Gibbons. Um, there's, there was a story at Metro News uh, regarding the city of Wheeling, and I just wanted to kind of get your, your general opinion. I don't expect you to understand or, or be aware of all the things that are happening in Wheeling, but the, the city of Wheeling, their council is uh, prohibiting camping within the city under most, um, you know, situations, you know, historical reenactments and that are allowed but it's basically targeting the homeless, homeless population that has been camping in the city of Wheeling. And one of the alarming um, statistics that I read when I was reading about the conversation that the council was having was that they were having 40% of the city police in Wheeling, uh, their interactions were with homeless people. And I, I'm not sure, you know, the validity of that. That just sounds like what was being, you know, talked about. Are we getting any any, you know, are we getting close to that kind of interaction with the homeless population here in Martinsburg? Um, I haven't I haven't seen that statistic from Wheeling. That does seem extremely high for a police department. Um, I do not 
I do not suggest, I will not suggest that our, um, our percentage is that high in no way are we, uh, that high of a percentage here in Martinsburg, you know, it, addressing the homeless population is always, it doesn't matter what city you're in. That's a very delicate, um, topic to discuss. And you have to be compassionate when, when talking about the homeless, um, and definitely don't want to criminalize you. We, I mean, if we started criminalizing homelessness in general, we, that we would just be shooting ourselves in our own foot. Um, but we have to have some sort of, um, recognition of it. Um, once we recognize that there is a sort of issue, what is the actual issue? So I think getting all the stakeholders involved, whether it's business owners, residents, um, downtown, uh, main street, Martinsburg, and these, um, community organizations that um, help the homeless, there, there's a lot of argument for and there's a lot of argument against, but there's very rarely a, 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 plat- a consensus. A, a, yeah, a platform for people to actually come together and actually speak. So what I've been doing on the second Tuesday of every month since I made chief was having a meeting with downtown business owners. So the second Tuesday of every month I've been meeting with them. We had to miss this month. Something came up, but... Um, We've been having those meetings and what we're trying to do is find these solutions. There were a lot of time and resources that was spent on the beautification of Martinsburg. That's what we want. We want people to come downtown and, and, uh, visit our shops and, and visit our town. Um, so we, we have to have some kind of comparable solution, um, with when actually addressing or speaking of the homeless. And that's what we're trying to find. And it's, and you hear occasionally in front of council, you'll hear somebody come up and, oh, the city doesn't care about the homeless. They want to push them off somewhere or it's, it's not, they want to push them off. It's, it's almost sounds as if they just don't care about the homeless. And this, that's this, I mean, that is far from the truth. It really is. It's just finding something compatible so that we can keep up with the beautification of Martinsburg as well as taking care of the homeless needs. Our guest this morning, Martinsburg City Police Chief Aaron Gibbons. I want to give you a chance uh, if there's anything else you wanted to let the, the folks know. And, of course, this weekend is Apple Harvest, apple harvest. which is hitting hard in the city. Yes. Yeah, so um, the Apple Trample, I believe that starts around 1030, um, and then the parade starts at 1. So make sure you show up, uh, support. Um, and that was a quick interview. I'm just letting you know. Well, and the, and the road, <laughs> there will be road closures. There will be a lot of road closures. Keep keep. Um, now we do post that, whether it's on Facebook, on the Martinsburg city website, uh, we post all the road closures. We have plenty of, of, uh, forethought to, to actually post on vehicles that are going to be on the parade route and whether or not they're going to, um, need to move their vehicles. So just keep an eye out on the city's website. Anything else you want to let the listeners know before we have to let you go? Hey, make sure you show up and support. And, uh, we are constantly hiring. We had a lot of initiatives that went through city council last council meeting, I mean, there are some great referral incentives, great recruitment incentives. So just keep an eye on our website as well for that. So you said that for people that are interested in to apply that they can find it on your website? Yes, they'll find it on our Facebook. They'll find it on the city's Facebook. They'll find our flyers everywhere, billboards. We have billboards up in, in West Virginia, Virginia, Pennsylvania, Maryland. We have billboards everywhere. So Awesome. Well, Martinsburg City Police Chief Aaron Gibbons, we really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very much for having me. We've got a break to take. We've got more Panhandle Live coming up in just a moment. Broadcasting from the Hoppy Kerchival Building in Martinsburg, it's Panhandle Live on the Panhandle News Network.
Welcome back to Panhandle Live, broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchival Building. Panhandle Live is driven by Country Roads Tire and Auto, taking you home with full-service auto care with a higher level of care with two locations to proudly serve you in Martinsburg and Hedgesville, online to at countryroadstire.com today. If you missed any or part of our interview with Martinsburg City Police Chief Aaron Gibbons, you can find it posted a little bit later on on our Panhandle News Network Spotify page where you can also find today's edition of Panhandle Sports Live. We had Martinsburg head football coach, uh, Dave Walker on, along with Tanner Lambert, who is going to be calling for U92 Student Radio, the Mountain State Derby today, the soccer match between number one ranked Marshall and uh, number five ranked WVU. And Marsha, uh, it sounds as though the Kavali clan wants to make it a little bit of an event, right? Try to find a cool spot to uh, to, to watch the game? Oh, my husband would, would go. I think he would drive to Morgantown and, and hold one of those little pitiful <laughs> signs up. I need tickets. Uh, if, if he thought it would get him tickets. But, um, yeah, you know, like, like I've mentioned before, we've had uh, a student at WVU. We've had a student at Marshall. And, and, you know, I've had a chance to watch Marshall soccer. Um, and it's just kind of fun to see, you know, a team that I'm supporting dominate like that, which makes me feel a little bad for <laughs> WVU because they're having a pretty good season. Oh, they but, could win tonight. You never or know. Or they could run up on a buzzsaw. So, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I told you off air, I'm, I've got – a WV shirt. I've got a Marshall shirt. Depending on who wins, you got them on deck. I'm probably going to be wearing green tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Further clarification, by the way, Martinsburg Police Chief uh, Aaron Gibbons was our guest. Uh, I do not make a routine habit of running stop signs. I just want that, Your Honor, put into the record. Um, but I appreciate, like you said, the conversation, Marsha, uh, about dropping some of the speed limits. I mean, you get around in the streets of downtown Martinsburg, and there's some similarities between Martinsburg and Morgantown. Some one ways, some areas where people are street parking. So there's mirrors, you know, you're mirror to mirror, like he said, on the street. And uh, of course, you have to worry about, you know, kids running around as well. I don't think necessarily it's the worst thing in the world that you have your commute lengthened by a, an extra 60 seconds. So you spend a little bit more time going through some of these streets in Martinsburg. I think it'll be interesting to um, patrolling that because yeah. the roads are so narrow and and the whole um, re, retraining the public the motoring public for that new four-way stop that's going to be happening at Wilson and Raleigh Street. Because, you know, your point was well taken. Some of us who've been driving these roads for 30 years or more, that there wasn't a four-way stop there. Now there's going to be one. And so we're going to need a little bit of, as you mentioned, a bit of a grace period. Well, like I mentioned, you can find that interview on our Panhandle News Network Spotify page. On yesterday's show, uh, we had Lori Lightfoot on and, and some members of Berkeley County Recovery Resources in a really interesting conversation uh, about implementing the Juvenile Opioid Treatment Intervention and Prevention Program in Berkeley County Schools. Here's just a portion of that interview with Lori Proudfoot, but again, you can find this complete interview on our Panhandle Live Spotify page. We do the Too Good for Drugs program. Um, it's typically a 10-week uh, program where we come in and we do a presentation. We start all with talking about communication, emotions, decision-making, relationships. We talk about mental health. And then once we get past all of that, we go in to start talking about drugs and alcohol. And then we also share our stories. Each of us have um, a story to share, you know, because some of us have been impacted by substance use. So again, that's Lori Proudfoot of the Berkeley County Recovery Resources Center um, implementing that juvenile opioid treatment intervention and prevention program. You know, it was a conversation that we had in my school a couple of times. Uh, frankly, where I went to was a really small private school. It wasn't something that we dealt with on a day-to-day basis, but, you know, that's a, a different reality for, for public schools with hundreds of kids from all different environments and 
and backgrounds and home situations. And Marsha, I know that a lot of parents will feel better knowing that there's a conversation being had in our public schools uh, about the the concerns and the issues of uh, drug use. I think one of the things that she said that was um, kind of important was giving them tools to say to say no. If there's, you know, we've all been in situations where there are people that we want to impress, and we might not make the the best decisions because we just want to have people like us. Um, so giving them tools to say no. Uh, we got a text here and back to our soccer conversation. I appreciate this texture because it was a point that I forgot to make myself. Remind Marsha that the Moo Yu team that won the national championship is correct. They beat Indy. It was in Three Indiana. Three years ago. Yeah. That was the year that they lost to WVU. And Ike Swiger scored the game-winning goal from that right wing back position. Uh, I was sitting in the booth with Matt Drabble calling that game the, the, the first time they had the reunified Mountain State Derby. So certainly keep that in mind. Although, of course. Of course and, and the fact that he called it Moo Yu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we know where his allegiances lie. Um, you know what? I I will be I'll be happy if either team wins. You know, we just want them both to have fun. But um, but you know, statistically and 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 based on the record this year, and again, I know Marshall's visiting WVU. It's going to be a you know hometown crowd for WVU. That might change things. Um, but Marshall's pretty tight. That's true. And uh, another shameless plug for those of you that don't want to spend the money to buy ESPN Plus, you can listen to the game for free on U92themoose.com. Get some student radio. Tanner Lambert, who was on our show, I was going to talk about that. But one more thing I wanted to touch on uh, before we get to our bottom of the hour break, and uh, we'll get to our next guest here in just a moment, is uh, Marsha, you know, it's a shame when you move into a new city, there are some people that you know, you get to know right at the end of their careers that you wish you would have gotten to know longer. And I think that Mark Baldwin certainly falls into that list. Um, he served as the city manager of Martinsburg for 27 years. That career of his is is coming to an end uh, here in the next couple of days. And he reflected on our show yesterday about what specifically brought him from the northern panhandle to the eastern panhandle. It, it's funny because I was looking for, you know, just advancement. Wellsburg was a small town. I'd done what I could there for eight years. It was time to move on. I was number two in Clarksburg and then happened just to get selected here in Martinsburg. Uh, and I can remember May, or, uh, Councilman Yager asking me in the interview, son, is it your goal to get to D.C.? City managers usually don't stay in his profession in cities more than five, six, seven, eight years. They move on. Or So I've been very, very fortunate to have I've had a career here in, in Martinsburg for 27 years. That's uh, Martinsburg City Manager Mark Baldwin, who's stepping down after a 27-year-long career. You can find that complete interview on our Panhandle News Network Spotify page, like I alluded to. But we're going to take a very quick break and come back with more Panhandle Live in just a moment. We're talking about the issues that matter most to you. Now, back to Panhandle Live. Welcome back to Panhandle Live, broadcasting from the Hoppy Kirchival Building here in Martinsburg, West Virginia. Programmers note, we've got the Metro News Statewide Sports Line coming up tonight from 6.06 until 7 o'clock. We've got another edition of High School Sports Line from 7 o'clock until 9 o'clock for the high school sports fans that are interested in tuning in. Joining the show, I believe it's right at the end of the 7 o'clock hour, will be Jefferson head football coach Craig Hunter. They got a big win against Millbrook. They're 5-2. and two. Uh, So that's certainly going to be a fun conversation that Dave Jekyll and Fred Persinger are going to have tonight. Our Panhandle High School football game of the week coming up this Friday um, is Berkeley Springs. I'm sorry, uh, Spring Mills against Martinsburg. And uh, Marsha, go ahead and hand off. I'll hand the baton to you while I get the phone figured out. Oh, absolutely. Um, just quickly, there is an upcoming uh, road delay in Morgan County 
Fairfax Street, County Route 99 in Morgan County beginning tomorrow, uh, Friday, excuse me, to allow a portion of Fairfax Street to be reconstructed uh, in conjunction with the Berkeley Springs Bypass. The, tor- the detour will be in place 24 hours a day until the spring of next year. Right. Signs will be in place to direct traffic. Joining us, speaking of Morgan County, on the phone is 15th District Senator Charles Trump. Welcome in. Good morning, Marcia. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. So um, we, the legislative interim uh, session just wrapped up. Uh, you're you're the chairman of the West Virginia Legislature's Joint Standing Committee on the Judiciary, and you guys have had a lot of conversations about the status of children in the Mountain State and how to protect them. So I'll let you kind of roll with that. Well, uh, that's that's true. What you said, we uh, the legislature has. Uh, you know, passed in the last couple of years a number of bills trying to address some of the intractable uh, problems we seem to have had in that area. And uh, we had an interim uh, committee meeting uh, during our three-day interims in Charleston, uh, the, the purpose of which was to, you know, discuss that again, see how the statutory changes we've, we've made are, uh, are helping uh, or not, you know, that was, we want to keep, keep the, because the problems, uh, there, there seem to be continuing problems and we, we want to, uh, keep it in the spotlight, so to speak. Is it simple enough to say it boils down to a staffing issue or am I oversimplifying it? Well, uh, that's, that's a big part of it. It's been a big part of it, uh, Marcia, to be honest. And that's not, you know, I don't think that solves all the problems, but that's that's a big part of it that I think everyone recognizes and agrees upon. Uh, there are certainly other aspects of it to work on, but uh, that is something that has garnered the legislature's focus and attention trying to solve the, the staffing problems for the DHHR. You know, it's particularly acute in our area. Although I will say we're not the only part of the state that is that is uh, has vacancies and staffing issues, so um, but we wanted one one of the things we wanted to accomplish with this interim hearing was to bring the parties back before the court, uh, bring the DHHR back in, and tell us what if any progress or changes are being made uh, from the last time we visited the issues. And so, can you just distill down for our listeners? Some of the things that you learned, you probably were not surprised by them, but some of the presentations and, you know, how dire is the situation in the Mountain State? Um, I think it, I think it remains dire. I don't think we're out of the woods yet by any stretch of the imagination. You know, we pass laws in West Virginia that require certain people uh, to be mandatory reporters. Uh, teachers, school personnel, medical personnel, doctors and nurses are mandatory reporters. In other words, when they see evidence that uh, looks like uh, evidence of abuse or neglect of a child, they're required by law under you know penalty of prosecution if they don't to make reports, to call this the DHHR, the hotline, refer the case, and uh, so, you know, it's, it's serious, serious business, and we want to make sure 
that those referrals are investigated and investigated properly uh, by the DHHR. And that's, that's been a big part of the problem. You know, there are other parts of the problem, too, uh, in that even when cases are investigated, they have to be managed by the DHHR when they come to court. And uh, that, that system was a failing. Uh, it's, still not, it's still not fully back up and running. Uh, now, I will say this. My, my direct familiarity is really more with this part of the state and this judicial circuit. But I hear from colleagues in the Senate and the House that there are the similar problems in other parts of the state. So uh, to, to your question, you know, we we enacted a bunch of measures in the last couple of years to try to try to address that. You asked about staffing. We we've increased pay. We have we provided uh, funding for that. We uh, took the division of personnel out of the hiring process to try to expedite the hiring process. Now, the good news is, you know, we hear from the DHHR that our vacancy rate is falling. Uh, but uh, when they hire someone new, they have to, the new people have to undergo pretty substantial training. So what we're hearing from the courts is maybe even though uh, hiring is occurring, the, you know, the people aren't showing up yet in court. It's not evident in these cases yet because the, the new hirees have to undergo training before they can deploy them in the field. Our guest this morning is 15th District Senator Charles Trump. He is the chairman of the West Virginia Legislature's Joint Standing Committee on the Judiciary. And during the interim meetings, they put a particular focus on, uh, you know, child protective services in the state, the DHHR. And, um, you know, one of the, the, the alarming stats that came out of some of the testimony this week, uh, we had Berkeley County 23rd uh, Circuit Judge Stephen Redding, Redding, excuse me, talk about it, was um, that some children with behavioral issues, 300-some, uh, are outsourced to other states because we can't adequately handle them. Uh, we don't have the provisions for, for their, their care and their needs here. Um, that's pretty alarming. It, it is alarming. And uh, I found out some, some other information uh, this week, the last three days while I was in Charleston, is that in many cases – these out-of-state placements um, where, where courts are having to send children to get them treatment are not willing to take West Virginia Medicaid. And so uh, this is, it's being paid for 100% with state dollars as opposed to a combination of state and federal. Our Medicaid program is a state and federal program, combination of dollars there. So, uh, you know, it is, it is an issue. Uh, Judge Redding did come all the way to Charleston and testify before the Joint Committee. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a little difficult because neither judges nor DHHR staff can talk about particular cases. Those cases are closed. The records are sealed. But Judge Redding was able to give us an excellent overview of the kinds of problems that the judges are seeing in these cases and having to deal with. 
when you think about the issues statewide, um, what are the numbers you're seeing? I mean, talk to us about some of the statistics. I, I've heard anecdotally we have as many as 8,000 vulnerable children in foster care. Um, is Are these delays having real-time uh, quality of life impacts on these children? Uh, of course. I mean, how, can they, how could they not? And, uh, you know, there is... Um, the law has requirements in it for uh, these cases to have priority, you know, in court dockets over any other cases. That's in the law, and it's a recognition by the legislature that these cases are among the most important cases uh, that the courts can handle. Uh, one of the objectives, you know, we have, we have a number of objectives in these cases. One is to preserve families where we can you know, where it's suitable, where parents are able to have their children and raise them themselves. We, we want that. We want to keep families together, and we want the state to be able to provide assistance or services as necessary to help that to occur. Another objective of the case is whatever the outcome is going to be, whether it's a reunification of a family or a termination of parental rights in a case, uh, an objective of the, of the cases and the law is to try to get to those permanent solutions uh, to achieve permanency sooner rather than later, to leave children in limbo for long periods of time, either in foster care where their world is uncertain. It's not known whether they're going to go back to their own families or they're going to be um, you know, parental rights will be terminated, and they'll be available for adoption by families who would adopt them. To have that process be dragged out and protracted is harmful to children. I don't think there's any question about that. Our guest this morning is 15th District Senator Charles Trump. Of course, you have announced that you, you're running for another office uh, in the um, state Supreme Court. And so that kind of must put a laser focus on the next general legislative session for you. Uh, talk about that and then talk about the election or the uh, candidacy process a little bit. Well, they're, they're, they're separate. They're separate things, Marsha. I, I have announced that I'm going to be a candidate next year for the state Supreme Court of Appeals. And I'm excited about that. But right now, I'm serving in the West Virginia Senate. I have duties as a senator, and I've got to fulfill those duties, you know, through the interim process, of course, and through um, the uh, next regular session of the legislature. Uh, the judicial election is in May. It's concurrent. It's a nonpartisan election held uh, concurrently with the partisan primary elections next year in West Virginia in May. And, you know, whatever happens with that, it'll be as, as the voters of the state choose, uh, you know, choose that, whatever outcome they choose in that. But right now, I'm focused on my work as a senator for the citizens of the 15th Senatorial District. Uh, well, sir, before we let you go, just anything else that you want our listeners to know about uh, upcoming legislative sessions or anything else you're working on? Well, uh, I, I will say this. We got, we got some good numbers in the Joint Committee on Government and Finance while we were in Charleston. You know, the books for September have been closed out. 
and uh, there is a, another big state surplus, a couple hundred million dollars in the month of September. So even with, you know, the tax cuts that the legislature enacted earlier this year, which are effective now, income taxes were lowered across the board in West Virginia, we're still seeing surpluses, not quite as big as we had seen, but uh, and we didn't, ex- you know, we didn't expect that they would be as big. But one of the concerns always was, you know, you, if you guys are cutting taxes, make sure you don't go so deep that you're going to have to turn around and raise them again. And uh, knocking on wood, uh, it looks like you know we we found uh, we found the right spot for the level of taxes we cut income taxes for all citizens in the state by 21 and a fraction, 21% a fraction. So that it's all good news. The good news is the we're still having surpluses notwithstanding that. And uh, the surpluses are, you know, going to give us uh, an opportunity to help make some of the changes. We, maybe we need to spend additional money in DHHR, Child Protective Services, um, public education, uh, is another area where we're we're thinking we're going to have to you know expend some of that surplus, but it looks like we're going to have some flexibility when the session begins in January, and that's that's good. Well, 15th District Senator Charles Trump, we really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you for coming on with us, sir. Oh, thank you for having me. Great talking to you. Take care. Absolutely. We've got another break to take. We'll have more Panhandle Live coming up in just a moment here on WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs. You're listening to Panhandle Live on WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs. Scratch my back with lightning bolt. Thunder rolls like a bass drum note. Final segment of Panhandle Live. Panhandle Live broadcasting from the Hoppy Kirchival Building here in Martinsburg, West Virginia. Speaking of Hoppy, he's got his show coming up here in a couple moments' time. So stay tuned past the top of the hour, but we can't get there before we talk about the Apple Harvest Festival, Marsha. That's right. It's getting real. It's getting real. We're And in-studio Mountain State Apple Harvest uh, Board President Susan, Susan Snowden joins us. Welcome in. Good morning. Thanks for being on. You were telling us that you've you've been, you know, kind of incubated in all things Mountain State Apple Harvest since you were small, and you've been on the board and board president a couple of times. I have. When the president, uh, when the Mountain State Apple Harvest Festival was formed in 1979, um, my aunt, Marge Van Meter, was a founding member of that board with Chuck Thornton. Oh, and, wow. And with um, our honored West Virginian, Virginia Sign was on that board, several business community leaders, and I was a volunteer with the Apple Harvest Festival. A very young volunteer. From 1979 until I left and went away to school in 1982. Yes. Wow. And then I came back and they said, oh, she's back. And I came on the board either in 85 at the end of the year or the beginning of 86. And ever since then, it's been all things Apple Harvest. Okay. <laughs> so it's not often that we have someone with that kind of scope of, what do they call it, institutional knowledge about a thing. Um, but you've been around Mountain State Apple Harvest you know, seeing the inner workings for a long time, what's your perspective about how it's grown? What was it like whenever you first got involved in it? When I first became involved in the Mountain State Apple Harvest Festival, each event, some of which we still have, uh, was sponsored by a service organization in the area. So Seroptimist International had the Grand Ball. Uh, Rotary had the what became known as the Bob Elmer Sports Breakfast. 
and Kiwanis had the pancake breakfast. But as service organizations morphed into a more national and different type of structure, um, it became time for the Apple Harvest Festival to pivot. And now our organization, I'm happy to say, is still all volunteer. We have zero paid employees. So when you give money or make a donation to the Mountain State Apple Harvest Festival, um, the money goes straight into community activities and services. And now each event is chaired by a member of the community, many of which are board members. So obviously this doesn't happen in a vacuum, as you mentioned, the volunteers, but also you guys have had a lot of sponsors step up. We had um, the Bank of Charlestown in yesterday, Aaron Howell, uh, to talk about not only are they giving uh, you know, material goods, but also a lot of volunteers. And I want to say that it has been a wonderful partnership uh, having BCT as our presenting sponsor, not only financially to assist us, uh, but also with people power. They're everywhere, and they're wonderful and give back to the community so much. You will see them at almost every event that we have throughout the next several days. We've already kicked off. We had a Rubies and Rhinestones event last week. It was fabulous. And despite the weather, the Fall Classic went forward, which is the baseball tournament. Um, And now tomorrow night, we kick off in earnest with the four days of celebration. And uh, we have the Royal Gala, as well as the um, tours at the Agricultural Farm in Carneysville. So if you've not been to that, Mm-mm. that's something that you really should go and see. I really like that, you know, Mary Beth was was on with us last week and she said, you know, it's not just a Martinsburg event. It is the panhandle because there's so much uh, of the apple industry that touches the, the panhandle and the greater panhandle. Correct. Um, the commissioner of agriculture will be here uh, for the weekend. He will be the first to tell you that the eastern panhandle, greater eastern panhandle, which really is five counties, um, is instrumental in, in production of apples in this area. And it is a wonderful way for this community to do a couple things. First of all, this festival honors our agricultural history, which also ties in with the BCT um, history. Right. And then it also allows us to bring folks in from far and wide to the Eastern Panhandle, including Berkeley, Jefferson, and Morgan counties, for tourism and economic growth and development. So it's a wonderful way for us to promote our entire area. And, of course, the, the coronation happens. Uh, have you seen the gown? <laughs> you haven't the seen gown, it. The gown is a surprise, <laughs> even to me. And when is the coronation? The coronation is Friday evening. Um, I would suggest that everyone that's never been to one come out and look at uh, Creative 172 Creative Place at Airborne Church, Martinsburg, West Virginia at 6 p.m. We have members of the ROTC locally who are the cadets, and they will be escorting our queen. Uh, Miss West Virginia and Miss Teen West Virginia will be appearing with us throughout the weekend. And the really the coronation is the pageantry and kickoff. Mm -hmm. And you can also view it on our website. It will be streamed live. That will come after all these pies are being brought in that are for the apple pie contest. And I should tell you, we are back to having a commercial competition as well. So there's a professional commercial segment of that. I should know I'm the first grand champion of the apple pie baking contest. Congratulations. Wow. Shocking, right? 
Um, we're, we're in the presence of greatness. Um, so Friday after the coronation, it's still not too late. You can still get tickets to the Queen's Reception and Grand Ball at the Holiday Inn, 7 o'clock to 11 o'clock. Wonderful music, pageantry, great time, good time. And let's not forget, we still have a pancake breakfast. And mm. thanks to Rotary for helping with the people power for that. Though That goes on Saturday and Sunday at the fairgrounds. This year, we are at a bumper capacity at the fairgrounds. Um, for the first time ever, we have a carnival. We have in excess of 80 food and craft and pop-up shop vendors. Wow. So there is so much to see and do. Um, it is a great time, and that's what we really want, is for families and friends to come together and there's something for everyone. All the great little contests that they have and the fact that local uh, high schools can perform. Um, I think you guys have probably stretched the limit of who's going to, you know, all the kids that can be on stage there. I was going to bring that up. Um, it is going to kick off on Sunday morning at um, the pancake breakfast. You can also have a church service if you so desire. Uh, church in the indoor arena at the fairgrounds at 9 a.m., our pop-up shops open at 9, and the program and published materials will say it closes at 4. We had so many people want to perform and bring their youth to our event that we are extending that to 5 o'clock or maybe later. Uh, for the first time in a long time, we've got Washington High School coming. That's with, awesome. With some, some uh, uh, entertainment for the community. So it's really exciting. Don't forget, too, if you're a walker, a runner, we've got the... 5K Apple Trample that will go through downtown Martinsburg on Saturday morning, right before the Grand Feature Parade. So we've just got about a minute and a half. Wanted to give you a chance because you mentioned her. Who's our honored West Virginian? Our honored West Virginian is Virginia Sign. She's uh, been a member of the Apple Harvest Festival. And other than me, she's probably been at more events continuously than anyone. She has been to every parade and either walked it with her daughter or ridden. <laughs> and she has been to every coronation that's ever been had for the Mountain State Apple Harvest Festival, including the first. Wow. What a treasure, and what a treasure you are to, to stay with this festival and make it happen, even in some of the lean years. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you all for having us, and please, everyone, come out, look on the program, look online, msahf.com. Well, we certainly really appreciate your time this morning. I know it's going to be a busy next couple of days, but uh, thank you for spending some time with us on this Wednesday. If you missed any or part of today's show, you can find it posted a little bit later on on our Payne Handle News Network Spotify pages. Uh, our guests today were 15th District Senator Charles Trump, along with Martinsburg City Police Chief Aaron Gibbons as well. Uh, but that's going to do it for us. Hoppy's coming up next. For Marsha, I've been Luke. This has been Payne Handle Live. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Younger than the sun Yeah, the bonnie boat was one As we sail into the mystic Heart now hear the sailors cry Smell the sea and feel the sky let your soul and spirit fly into the mystic And where that foghorn blows I will be coming home 
WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media station. We're proud to live here, too.